You are listening to Equinox. 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 <laughs> Where we're striking the balance between the light and the dark. <laughs> and arguing over how to pronounce a word. So this is episode three. So this trilogy is over after today's episode. It's been great. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I am joined by my doctor and yours, Rob Carter. Hey there. So we have this little argument going on on the side where I always wanted to rec- I wanted to call the show Equinox and Rob here is just you know ruining the ride for my favorite show and show title. It's Equinox. Well, that's what you say. <laughs> tomato tomato and Google disagrees with me. Oh well. There are some guys on the uh, what is it called uh, Away with Words podcast. Maybe we can get them to consult and tell us the right way because yeah, Google said it was Equinox. It did it did. And it kind of makes sense cuz equal Equinox. I'm saying Equinox, like as an equid, as in horse, which makes no sense at all. But that's how I say it. So. And uh, to back up your argument, the car company says Equinox. So, but then there's yeah. that pop song that I really like, and they say Equinox, meet me on the Equinox. So that's what I'm thinking about. Okay. All right. And for all of you listeners that have tuned in for episodes one and two, thank you so much for the positive feedback. We got a great response. We yes, really appreciate hearing from you. Glad to hear the people all over the country are interested in it. And so you know, the show schedule is we try to release on the Equinox of the Week, so you can expect new episodes every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Sorry we had to decide where the middle of the Equinox was, and we decided it was our time zone. Yes, that makes sense. Sorry for the rest of you that are not living on the Equinox. So, uh, Rob, what are we talking about this week? Ah, this week, one of my favorite subjects of mystery, ancient DNA. Ancient DNA versus like recently fresh harvested DNA, nice and juicy and not yet dried out. Yeah, not DNA that you can pull out of your blood, but DNA they find in the ground in old bones. Oh, okay. So why does this topic interest you? I mean, it already sounds interesting to me, but I'm, I'm trying to get a feel for where you're coming from. Because two things are happening at once. We have a revolution happening in genetics that is leading to a revolution happening in archaeology. Because now we don't find bones. We actually find in those bones the DNA from the people that used to live there. And we're like, wait a minute. This tells us so much more about history than we could ever know before. Oh, that has huge ramifications because if something in a modern scientific theory isn't backed up by ancient DNA... They have to change their theories. And a lot of theories have had to change a lot. Recently. Yeah, recently. Oh, that is powerful. This started back in uh, something like 1984. Someone pulled some DNA out of a dead animal. It had been dead for like 150 years. It's called a quagga. It's sort of like a horse-zebra mix, but that species is, is extinct. And they're like, well, wait a minute. We got one in the museum. So lo and behold, they pulled DNA out of it. And then someone said wait a minute, it's been dead for 150 years. How far back can we go? Oh, that is so neat. It is totally cool. But this if was, I knew interesting things like this were going on in science 150 years ago, I think I would have been a scientist instead of a podcaster. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. 150 years ago when the quagga was dying, you said, hey, we got to preserve this so I can, so yeah. I can sequence it later. Anyway. 150 years ago? Yeah, I'd have been sequencing all kind of DNA. Um, the, the, a big curveball, though, happened in the 1990s. Somebody claimed to have sequenced dinosaur DNA. And after a short time, it was shown that this was a false claim, that that was contamination. 
someone like one of Lab Techs is eating ham sandwich or something like that, and some ham DNA got in there, and they sequenced pig genes or chicken genes oh. or whatever. I think it was pig. But you can DNA ham from my sandwich meat. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. I didn't realize there was any DNA left after they had processed that stuff, but that's oh, amazing. Well, there was enough left. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. That caused all of the scoffers and skeptics to just laugh and laugh and laugh about this thing called ancient DNA. So when someone decided... Well, it does sound hokey. It sounds like a mythology of science or something. It sounds like you're saying legendary science. Well, we are actually getting into some legendary material here, hmm. but it's also ancient. Can we just say that we coined that term legendary science on this show? We're going to trademark like that. that. Hey, you want to change the name of the podcast to legendary science? Yes. Uh, put it on all of our t-shirts and coffee mugs. I like it. Okay. But well, if we can't pronounce equinox. If we can't agree well. on equinox and equinox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what happened was all the skeptics got their hackles up and they said, ancient DNA should not exist according to the skeptics. DNA breaks down too quickly. It's too, it's chemically sensitive. If you have a bone sitting in dirt over years, the DNA is going to decay and the bone is going to fill up with bacterial DNA because bacteria are living in fungi and things like that. And so in 2007, a man who was about to become very famous named David Reich, he was tasked with trying to pull DNA out of a Neanderthal bone. How old were they saying the bone was? Oh, tens of thousands of years old. Okay. Um, and I'm a, can you tell me where the Neanderthal bones would have been buried and found in the first place? Um, this particular one, I'm not sure. I got a list later on of, of specific ones, but this is probably a European Neanderthal individual. So Neanderthal bones are found around the world. Uh, they're found from Spain to central Siberia. Okay. Not, and, and that's it so far. But he was tasked with pulling DNA and he said he was very skeptical. And he was also successful. And that launched him into a brand new career. And he was... You know, one of the, the, the at the forefront of this brand new field that's not supposed to exist because DNA is not supposed to last for tens of thousands of years. So instantly, this field has raised up some issues with the evolutionary community. And I mean, the world record now is um oh a horse from um from Alaska that they claim is five hundred sixty to seven hundred eighty thousand years old. Oh, okay. So for the record, what are some things that can last for thousands of years? Diamonds, raw materials, diamonds, coal, gold. Hard, okay. So hard, raw materials. And that's about it. Unless we, well, okay. H2O. Water, okay. Water has been around for a pretty long time, but yeah. it's because it's a cyclical process that keeps it trapped in the atmosphere and down in the ground. Yeah. Except plants are constantly ripping it apart and making hydrogen and oxygen out of it. And we're con, con consistently burning it. And as we burn it, we take hydrogen and oxygen, combine them back into water. So water is not, water can still be destroyed. Hmm. So it can escape the atmosphere. There so would have been theoretically the a lot more water on planet earth thousands of years ago. Possibly because we are losing a little bit of water to, the, to space as we orbit. So let's put it this way, organic materials like blood vessels and bones and cartilage and tissue and skin, even the hard stuff that lasts a lot longer just cannot last thousands, tens of thousands, or can it last thousands of years? Yeah. Because every and, now and, and then teeth. I hear about the, the DNA showing up in bone material. I'm assuming that only lasts for a few thousands of years. It wouldn't last for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, that's the issue. If you have a tooth, tooth teeth are hard. And under the right conditions, they could literally last a, a million years, 10 million years. I don't think the earth is that old. 
everyone take note on listening to this, but that's irrelevant. Well, it's so dis- theoretically, they yeah. could last for a very, very long time, but the DNA inside it should break down very quickly because DNA as a molecule is just too fragile. It, it breaks, it cross-links uh, the cytosine, it loses the amine groups, and it changes chemical composition. It's just, it's just a big, nasty mess. And yet, we keep finding it in things that are older and older and older, and honestly, it shouldn't be there. Okay, so DNA itself, the ancient DNA stuff that we're talking about is at least how old? Would it be considered ancient if it's over 1,000 years old or yeah. ancient if it's over 300 years old? Um, there are actually some ancient DNA samples that are just a few hundred years old from Africa and maybe the Pacific Islands or something like that. So the word ancient really doesn't mean anything. Okay. And how complete is it? If it's a few hundred years old, I'm assuming it's close enough to tell that the human DNA hasn't really changed all that much in 200 years. Uh, yes, but you can also tell that from the older stuff, how much the human DNA has changed. Some of it hasn't changed hardly at all. Wow. But it's all fragmented. Even after no. a couple of hundred years, it breaks down at the little pieces. Yeah, it's like looking at the broken down remains of a statue that's just a lot of dust and yeah. shallow. And then you got to put it together again. It's hard. Uh, so yeah. like when, we'll get to this in a minute, but when they sequenced the first Neanderthal DNA, the longest pieces were like 50 letters long. Our chromosome num- I'm assuming that's really short in that's DNA really short. terms. Our, our chromosome number one is 250 million letters long. Whew. And it br- broken down at the pieces, maybe 50 letters long. So it was highly fragmented. It was right on the, if it was any shorter, they wouldn't have been able to sequence it at all. Still, you know, I get excited if I can find a fragment of something that belonged to my great-grandfather. Yeah. And some, finding something like that, that you can still uh, <laughs> identify that that's DNA yeah. from somebody long gone. That is incredible. But there's controversy, of course. The first big controversy was, was a discovery that what we thought were cavemen those half monkey, half th- half human things that, you know, people, you know, the old picture of the guy carrying a club and he's dragging a woman by the hair. Well, you know, yeah, they stupid, took those pictures British. thousands of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Um, but all those depictions of cavemen, those bones actually are homo sapiens, human beings, including Neanderthal. Okay, so they got some of their facts wrong. They got a lot of facts wrong. They made assumptions based on... Before they got ideas. to see the DNA and understand it. And when they saw the DNA, like, oops, we were wrong. So the bones don't tell them what the quality of their life was like and their biology was like just from looking at the outside of the bone. But when you get it down to the molecular level, you can say confidently, there's just not a whole lot different about these the beings, these the biological creatures from us today. You can even tell their skin color and their eye color and their hair color. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, and we, their gray matter? <laughs> and, well, we now know what Neanderthals look like. That's a crazy thing. Again, a little foreshadowing. Again, Neanderthals in a second. So not only are there challenges in, um, in science, there's also challenges in the legal field. There was an, an ancient Native American discovered. They claimed it was 8,000 years old. That's, that's old in Native American terms. <laughs> old. Um, it's called Kennewick Man. And when they looked at his DNA... It was discovered that his DNA was was Native American and highly similar to the Native Americans that claimed that he was their ancestor. So they demanded his return <laughs> and they buried him properly. Wow. So now those bones will be decaying in the ground and they're lost to science. Oh. 
Wow. Well, but it's still, wow. Good for them. Bad for us. We got the DNA out of it at least. But it's something that is now lost yeah. because of political, cultural things. This is a sensitive subject. You're poking around in people's closet, and sometimes they don't like the skeletons that come out. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah, wait till we get to Europeans. I'm going to tell you that modern Europeans aren't ancient Europeans. Ooh. Oh, that's going to be a huge challenge. Um, so we have legal things going on, and we have lots and lots of species that have been sequenced. Okay. We're talking about cave bears. Cave bears. Ancient For- cave bears. You know, Ice Age oh. cave bears. Uh, we now know... I love that phrase. We now know. You know what that means in scientific terms? <laughs> it means we were wrong yesterday. <laughs> but we now know, or we believe at least, that polar bears descend from Irish cave bears. So white polar bears were not white in Ireland a long time ago. Oh, I'm just trying to picture them in another colored coat. Yeah, it's hard, hard to picture it, but they had to come from somewhere. And I don't think yeah. polar bears are infinitely old. They had to derive from regular bears who aren't yeah. white. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like genetically they come from Ireland. We've also sequenced mammoths and mastodons to the point where there are people who are tr- now trying to clone mammoths. Is, uh, do you think they will really be successful? I've wanted to ask you this question since the moment we hit record. Uh, the answer is no, but okay. yes. No, but yes. Well, the problem is that elephants aren't lab rats. Okay, so they'll be able to create a new hybrid elephant with hair? Yes. What they've done is they've looked at the, the mammoth genome and said, oh, that's the gene that makes it hairy. That's the gene that gives it those funny tusks. That's the one that makes his head shape like that. And all you have to do is genetically modify an elephant egg cell or fertilized egg cell with those particular changes. And you have to find a female elephant who can bring this thing to term. You might have to do a C-section because if it's bigger or something, it'd be a problem. So the ecologists, environmentalists are all up in arms because they don't want anyone hurting an elephant. But then again, everyone else wants to like, uh, hey man, I want to see a woolly mammoth. Yeah. So we'll see if that actually happens in the future. We've also got ancient horses, which we mentioned. I mean, tons and tons of ancient species. And honestly, none of that DNA should be there. But what we're finding the DNA is restricted in the world. It's in cold areas. Siberia, Alaska, Northern North America, Europe. We have Hmm. very, very few samples from Africa. The colder the climate, the better it's preserved. The DNA preserves better, yeah. Which makes sense. That's that's chemistry. How far up in the cold or south in the cold, I guess it could be, would be some of the samples or thing how what I'm wondering is just like how close does it get to the poles? As far as people have gotten to the poles, we can get DNA out of them. Amazing. But when you get close to the equator, you're toast. Literally. Yeah. yeah. DNA yeah. just doesn't last. We have gotten a couple from some caves in Africa and different places, um, but it, it, they're only, you know, a thousand or 2000 years old. Mm. So, you know, I would perfectly well accept that date, but it's not, it's not as deep in the past, but we're still able to tell some cool things about it though, that have changed African history. Um, but that's again, later. One of the biggest advances uh, that we've had recently was a discovery that the, the ear bone, it's called the petrous bone, holds sometimes a hundred times more DNA than other bones in the body. It's the the densest bone in the body and it's a good DNA preserver. And so now they're going back to samples that didn't think had any DNA in it. I said, oh, let's sample from the petrous bone and boom, there we go. Oh my word. And that's that's opened up, that has changed so much. It's not like we have one or two ancient people. We have thousands of ancient people have had their genome sequenced. (laughs) <laughs> and so when we look at archaeology, we can say these people lived here at this time. 
and we can watch people migrate in history. We can see uh, interbreeding events between people groups and one of the people groups we didn't know, know existed. Whoa. And yet their DNA is there. Shoot. All sorts of unbelievably cool and weird stuff. I always love it when science opens up history. And, yeah, me too. Oh, my word. Is this, uh, you, you've officially blown my mind already in this episode, and we're only about you know 12 minutes in. Awesomeness. We got more to go. We got a lot more to go. I got three pages of notes here, and I can't believe we're going to finish it, but we'll see, how, we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Um, so let's take a romp through, through the world. Let's start with one of the last places settled in the world. That's mm. native. That's Americas. Yeah, I'd like to start there. Okay. So the Native Americans, linguistically, on the way they look, they look like they're from Asia. Yeah, it makes sense because that's what I was told in school. They, that's right. They had the most in common. It seems like they would have traveled up over Alaska, down through Canada, and down Specifically into the, during the Ice Age period, um, the Bering Sea was not an ocean. It was right. dry land. Right. And so... Lots of arguments how they got here. You know, did they take the kelp highway and kayaks or did they take an inland route? Doesn't doesn't matter. Genetically. Some people said boats, but yeah, whatever. I like the boat idea. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but genetically, they are most similar to Northeast Asians. Right. Okay. In fact, we even can tell which groups. Yeah. They I share white that. chromosomes, they share mitochondria, other other things. They're 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 obviously Asians. Well, and again, you don't want to fall to the trap of just looking at the, at the exterior, to, like just looking at the bones and just looking at their skin and just looking at their likeness. You're getting down to the DNA and yeah. it's basically a match. Yeah, and the DNA confirmed the earlier suspicions, yeah. Great. But the earliest Native American samples we have are very similar to modern Native Americans, which means they've been here for a long time. Okay, uh, say that again. The, the earliest Native American DNA samples we've found mm -hmm. are highly similar to modern Native Americans. There's just not much difference then. There's not much difference. They've been here and it hasn't been For lots of migration yeah. from other places like, you know, speculations about Europe and things like that. Okay. But there's so much politics in this. Okay. Most of the um, North American tribal councils have recommended that their members don't participate in Ancestry.com, 23 government studies and things like that. I failed to understand why. I just wait, they I, Native Americans have computers and phones. Oh yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. They, they shop at Walmart too. But there's the America. The U.S. government has very frequently tried to downgrade Native American ancestry by pigeonholing them. So if you don't have this much ancestry, you're not Native American. Okay. But to be a Native American is a cultural thing. It's not a genetic thing, and they're worried that they're going to be explained away if they don't have X percent Native American DNA. Oh, okay. So they want to artificially preserve their cultural heritage. If that's it not, does, that's it, not artificial. They don't want the government to erase their culture. Yeah. And granted, okay. they should sure. not trust the U.S. government. <laughs> yeah. Maybe today we're more okay. enlightened, but yeah, over that, the last couple hundred years, I mean. Yeah, I, I see your yeah. point. Okay. <laughs> so there's politics involved. And it's, but it, we don't talk about politics. No, no politics show. here. Nope, 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 nope. But I'm trying to be sensitive to some of these issues because this is really sensitive stuff. For real. Yeah. So hop across the, the Pacific Pond. And if you go to East Asia, the earliest skeleton that I'm aware was found in a cave in Beijing. And DNA-wise, it postdates when Native Americans and East Asians split. And DNA-wise, it's almost identical to modern Chinese people. Hmm. They dated this 40,000 years ago. 
They did it this 40,000 years yeah. ago. Now, someday we'll have to, we're going to have to do a show on carbon dating and how it influences dating in, in archaeology. Okay. And how I can be you know, a creationist and I can read these carbon dates and not worry about it. Because the closer you get to Noah's flood, the more the dates expand artificially. Right. So this is an early post-flood individual, one of the first people to get into Far East Asia. And the, the descendants of that culture group are still in China today. Oh, wow. That's cool. That is not true in Europe. I would have assumed that that was true mostly everywhere around the world. That as people spread out, their DNA would mostly stay in the same vicinity and you'd on all the continents. Wrong. You'd be very, very wrong. And if I had to make an educated guess, I would have said that would be especially true of Asia, but that's going with my gut, just what I know about world history and the like. But so that, that I, I can totally expect and believe, and I'm glad to know I was right about. Um, I would have expected that based on what I already knew about uh, human Y chromosomes. When you look at the Y chromosomes in Asia, they form this beautiful expanding fan. And it just gets wider and wider and wider as you get closer and closer to modern times. That is a signal of a population that's been in place and been growing for a long time. No other culture in the world has a fan like that. Oh. They all have restrictions and, and narrow spots, which means the culture went through a crash or got replaced by an invading army or something like that. Yeah. Let me read you a quote from um, uh, two authors called Slatkin and Racimo. Really cool paper about ancient DNA. And they, they wrap up with this. They say, we now know that present-day populations were created by a complex history of admixture and population movement. Although local genetic continuity over long periods has been documented in a few cases, these are exceptional. The general rule is that the ancestors of present-day populations lived somewhere else. And we can say that now because of ancient DNA. Oh my, yeah. So going to the Bible. So you're saying thousands of years ago, people just didn't relocate very often. No, I'm saying and thousands recently, of years ago, people relocated like crazy. The other way around. Ebb and flow across the globe. Migration, invasion, warfare, people moving and taking other people's stuff. It was very dynamic and very complicated. So in scripture, in the Bible, we have this thing called the table of nations. Genesis chapter 10. And the table of nations describes supposedly how the sons and grandsons of Noah spread out on the earth. And from that, a lot of people have mistakenly concluded that Europe was settled by the sons of Japheth. Africa was settled by the sons of Ham. Shem must have stuck around in the Middle East. It's not that simple. A side note on this, I actually think it's pretty much human nature for people who want to understand history and science to make up a theory and yes. if, it's, if it convinces them and it can convince a few other people in the room, we accept it as truth. We accept it as fact. And I think we're too quick to make those snap judgments and forget to look at the evidence. And that is what we're really getting at here is you got you to gotta really get honest and objective with the evidence. And yeah. this is opening the doors to uh, debunk so many myths in yes. history. Yes, but no, the Bible, of course, is not a myth, and the Table of Nations is not a myth. Let's right. do another episode on Table right. of Nations, because that's fun. Yeah. But the Bible does not say the that Bible didn't say that. settled Europe. It doesn't even talk about Europe. That's right. It gets as far as Crete. I'm drawing a blank. I'm thinking about Crete. Crete, the big island just south of, of Greece. Oh, okay. So you can't say X went one place and Y went to another place. It's not that simple. No. And so what we see, like in Europe, this is really, really fun. 
early Europeans had dark skin and it looks like they had blue eyes. Really? Almost all of the ancient Europeans that we've looked at don't look like modern Europeans. Would there be an example of, of a race, a nation, people group that would look like that today? Not really. I didn't think so. Not really. Now, you have to be careful with inferring eye color and skin color from DNA because 23me.com says I'm supposed to have blue eyes. Oh. Are my eyes blue? <laughs> I'm looking at them right now, and they're very much chocolatey brown. That's right. I got brown eyes. And so DNA is not perfect, and eye color is very hard to infer. And when you're looking at ancient people yeah. who have all sorts of other different variants we don't see today, you can't necessarily know. But they did have some variants that are very strongly associated with blue eyes today. That they would have happened whether or not it happened in every single person in the group. Yeah. It, so we don't know, but we know... The, in, the, the data indicate that they had at least a dark skin. Hmm. Oh, my. That's kind of weird. Um, and then when we look at in Europe, we see these different archaeological layers. You know, the, the Bell Beaker people, the Corded Ware people. There are different layers, different sections of archaeology. And they're, they are relatively dated one after the other. I don't necessarily agree with the time span, but the order of events is pretty clear. So the oldest people we have in Europe are Neanderthals. Okay, so uh, just for a moment, side issue here. How do they know what they're digging into in archaeology on the layer? You said you go down, they, they, you could do a cross-section of the ground or the cave or the mountainside. Yes. And you can yes see yes. an ancient civilization's remains. Why and how does that even happen? Like, why does it get covered to dust and mud and it's dry and hardened? And why, did, why is it that the landmass is getting higher? No, it's not that the landmass is getting higher. It's that people's garbage dumps were outside their front door. They didn't have modern recycling and things like that. They, they just threw stuff out. In Europe, there are these massive piles of shells, meters high, hundreds of meters long. They're called middens. Hmm. Actually, there's some on, um, on Marco Island in Florida also, which I hope to see the next time I go down there. It's piles of shells that people over hundreds of years, you know, catch a clam, eat the clam, throw the shell on the ground. And, and they then, just pile up. It just keeps on marking yeah. up. Okay. And, but yeah. see, when you get into something like that and you start excavating it, obviously the top layer is put down last and the bottom layer is put down first. So as you're digging through yeah. it, you're digging through time. And you can tell the order of events going backwards as you dig down. Okay. Wow. So looking at, at Europe, we got these different archaeological periods. The Neanderthals are first, but the earliest Neanderthals don't look like the classic Neanderthal. Really? When they you say classic, like, yeah, we're thinking about the hunched over guy with a big who, jaw. Who wasn't, who wasn't hunched over. Small brain. Had bigger brains than us on average. <laughs> what does that say about us? Yeah, what does that say about us? But the, the classic Neanderthal shape is no chin, slope back forehead, heavy brow ridges, thick bones. He looks like a brainiac. He looks like a mad scientist in a science fiction cartoon. His, his, his brain is bigger than ours on average, but his bones are thicker and his muscles are bigger. Huh. And he's living in Europe when it's no fun to live in Europe. The weather's terrible. And it looks like as the ice built up, the people, the modern people who were moving into territory at the same time, they got pushed back to like Spain and Greece. Huh. And north of that was just no fun to live. Then as the ice melted back, people came up, and these would be modern-looking people anyway, and these people had different types of DNA. They've looked at all these different ancient skeletons. They, they had this one cache of 51 skeletons they found in ancient, most modern-looking people. And they don't share DNA with modern people. Why is that? They're a dead end. 
they get killed off in a plague or in a war or they they inbred themselves to death. Who knows? But they their DNA didn't get passed on to us today. So if there's something in there that didn't get passed on, are we missing something in the DNA for mankind today that is in there that we don't have today? Like going back to the example of elephants, you got to take some elements out of what we know about woolly mammoth, real woolly mammoth DNA to create that hybrid elephant with hair today and fur and the like. So could we look at that and identify something missing from human DNA today that was in that line that is lost? Uh, potentially, but I don't think we lost a lot because our population grew so quickly that somewhere in the world, almost all the variants were captured. Hmm. But some little backwater areas, um, whatever was there just kind of got lost because of time and chance. And then new waves of people, usually coming from the Southeast, from like, you know, Tower Babel area in the Middle East, they're bringing new DNA, they're bringing new pottery styles and technology like the cow. <laughs> okay. That's high technology <laughs> and wheat. First, I think that's the first example on the show uh, of technology is the cow. Yes, yes, great technology. See, but what happens is if you can bring your food with you, you have a more stable food supply. And so the farmers that moved in had more children. They had a larger population. They interacted with the people that were already there. And there's probably some warfare, but there was also children happening between mm -hmm. these groups because, you know, that's in fact, that's what happened with the Neanderthals. Yes. That's mm. the craziest thing. They didn't die out. Their DNA is still with us. That's what I've heard. So there's really not a people group that looks like the purebred Neanderthal. No, not at all. And well, you would not know somebody by their facial features having some Neanderthal DNA today. You couldn't look at somebody on the street and say, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of Neanderthal in them. No, you can't do that. No. But they probably have about 3% of Neanderthal, which doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that 3% means 3 out of 100. Okay. So for every 100 of your ancient ancestors, three of them were Neanderthal. Yeah. I have more uh, Native American blood in me oh, than that. Mean? Yeah, My dad's great grandmother, I think. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. That's really cool. Okay, that, that'd be another story books. for another day too. Yeah. Man, we got all these cool ideas. Of, of DNA, so we, man, it could just be rebranded as the DNA podcast if the Equinox doesn't work out. No, nah, let's not do that. There's a skeleton called the Oase, O-A-S-E, Always One Skeleton. That ancient person had a Neanderthal ancestor six generations back, and we know it from the DNA. You've heard of Otzi, the Tyrolean Iceman? Oh, I thought it was a breakfast cereal. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they found this, this, this ancient man as, as, a, as a glacier was melting back on the border between Italy and Switzerland, high up in the Alps. He had been shot in the back by an arrow still in him. He had tattoos. He had a little pouch that obviously had um, some tinder in it and, and smoking embers. He was carrying mm. his fire with him. Mm. He had mushrooms with him. Mm. The mushrooms were treating pinworms, which he also had a pinworm infection. Oh, dude. His boots were stuffed with grass for insulation. His arrow was made in two parts. So if he shot his arrow, the front part could get stuck in and he could pull the back part out with the feathers and stick it on a new one. Uh. This is a, a very intelligent man. Uh, he was, he's supposedly 5,300 years old. I don't think he's that old, but he's related to people living in Sardinia today. Oh. But other people in the region about that time were not. Hmm. He is the, the forefront of um, a group of people moving in who were becoming modern Europeans, but he's still not doesn't have the DNA of a modern European. Now, the Sardinians are, are a little different, especially the, if you live in the highlands. The Sardinia is an island off of, um, it's in the Mediterranean to the west of Italy. 
But no it, relation to sardines? No, no relation to sardines at all. But the highlands of Sardinia have the highest fraction of Neolithic ancestry, that's ancient ancestry, of any group in Europe. And they also have an incredibly high concentration of people that live to over 100 years old. Oh, wow. It's very odd. What would attribute to that? Um, I've Hard heard... work, farming, clean air, lots of exercise, and maybe some good genetics that they got from the early post-flood ancestors, maybe. Oh, okay. Hmm, one wonders. Okay. So let me, let me give you the basic timeline. First, we have non-Europeans, Neanderthals. And then we get some what are called hunter-gatherer people during the Ice Age. Now, Native Americans are hunter-gatherers. My ancient ancestors were hunter-gatherers before farms came around. So were yours. I mean, it, you're, you can, it's not like primitive no. to be living in a, uh, a log home in a forest. I'm playing Stardew Valley on my Nintendo Switch right now, and it doesn't feel very primitive at all. No, and it's hard work, man. It's hard to go get your food all the time like that. And Okay, so we have the hunter-gatherers. They're called the Western hunter-gatherers. And then farmers move in from the southeast. This is the Neolithic, and this is Otzi. And this is where, big words, the SLC24A5 variant. Okay, so, uh, uh, let's whip out the scientific textbook here yeah. and a dictionary and tell me what is that? The SLC24A5 gene, one particular variant is what gives Europeans their light skin color. And almost all Europeans have two identical copies of that variant. Okay. Meaning we came from a small population. Oh. But this is when it enters Europe. Before that, people didn't have light skin color. Hmm. Curious. Then after that, we have another group of people coming in. This is during the Bronze Age. So this is during the period of the judges in the Bible. Oh, okay. Just before King David, who's in the Iron Age. So how many years before the time of Christ? We're talking... A few thousand years before the time of Christ. Okay. Bron on Bronze Age. On Bronze Age, that's like the, the Trojan Wars. Yeah. 1200 BC. Yeah. So 1200, they say maybe 5,000 years ago, 3000 BC. I don't believe that, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's back in this time period. They bring in the Indo-European languages. Oh my, I didn't realize that those went that far back. Yeah, but they don't go further back than that. Okay. And it also means the Indo-European languages don't come from Europe. Ooh. This is the corded ware culture. They bring in horses. They have Near Eastern ancestry. Near East would be like, you know, Mesopotamia, really? Israel. Yeah. That's the Near East. They have about half of their ancestry is Near Eastern. And this is the Yamnaya culture. Yamnaya? Yamnaya. Where so, the, the root uh, word behind America. No, not really. Oh, okay. No, no, yeah, no, not yams either. Um, the Yamnaya culture in the Pontic Steppe. Now, what's Pontic? That's the area between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Okay. And the steppes are the vast grasslands of, of Asia, like the place the Mongols came from. But this is the Yamnaya culture. So if you're looking for European DNA in ancient specimens, you don't find it in Europe. You find it in a Kurgan. The a Kurgan. grass mound <laughs> out in the Caspian steppes. And in that grass mound is like a warlord and his chariot and his horse and a little bit of gold. <laughs> and you sample the DNA of that individual and, oh, wow. Really? He has European-like DNA. Whoa. So those people invaded westward. Yeah. And intermarried with the people that were there first, <laughs> but killed a lot of them off at the same time, because when two cultures meet, it's usually not very pretty. Right. And they became that mixed population, which is mostly from the grasslands of Asia and a little bit from the original Europeans, become came what we call modern Europeans. Wow. That is... Pfft. 
to the point where like 80% of the Y chromosomes in Europe are my group of Y chromosomes. Yeah. But we're a recent group and we split off from Native Americans fairly recently also. Okay. And we're not related to people that were there first. (laughs) Crazy. I have another, another one for another time. All right. So what about some other continents and people groups? Real quick, let's run through things like India, Australia, Africa, uh, South America. Don't know much, don't know much, don't know much. Will we be able to figure that out? Too warm. Yes. Africa, Australia, India are very warm places. We don't have a lot of ancient DNA. So it's very difficult to go back for all the types. Yes. We are learning more and we're getting better. Do you think that there could be a scientific discovery to find something preserved in a way using a method that we don't know today that would yes. you know, transcend the science of the day and we would say, ah, oh, okay, now we can figure it out for the South Americans? Uh, uh, well, we have South America pretty good. Okay. But the other places we don't. Right. Um, and the answer is, yeah. Like um, they started sifting cave dirt and started pulling DNA out of cave dirt because they figured people lived there, they might have defecated there, they might have died there, and they would have left behind some DNA and are pulling out ancient DNA from dirt. <laughs> That's crazy. It's not even a good bone sample. No, but, no. But just, hey, just, look here. We, we think people this, lived here. They left their DNA. Hey, you see this in stuff the in the dirt? This is not dirt. This is <laughs> DNA. <laughs> crazy. Well, here's another cool one. This is, this is amazing. A girl, we know it's a girl because of her DNA, in ancient, ancient times, in Denmark, was chewing on some gum made from birch resin. Oh, man, that sounds like some good gum. And she spit it out into a peat bog. (laughs) They found this chewed up piece of gum with teeth marks on it. No evidence of where the girl went off later, but (laughs) we got our gum. (laughs) But they sequenced her genome out of birch resin from the bottom of a bog. And they also sequenced her last meal. What? Because she mixed it into the, the gum as she was chewing it. That Unbelievable. That is incredible. Sorry, but oh, that probably didn't sound very good on tape. I'll let you figure it out. So how long could that have survived? The, okay, let's go back to one of the questions we started with at the beginning. How long could that have lasted if we didn't discover it today, if it just went unnoticed for another thousand years? Yeah. It, it's in an environment with no oxygen and it's cold. Great. Yeah. Warm, oxygen-rich environments destroy DNA very quickly. But the bottom of a swamp, no oxygen. Um, the tannic acid keeps a lot of the bacteria out. And there's a high probability of DNA surviving a long time in that. Okay, so not to get morbid or anything, but I was just thinking about how we have, in a future episode, we're planning to discuss colonizing things like the moon. And Mars. I can't wait to that episode. So what happens if tragedy strikes, the civilization is exposed to space, and the people group all dies out? Basically, the best conditions for preservation for all the elements there, how long could it potentially last for the, the bodies, the samples, the bone, the material, the DNA? Could it theoretically last... Well, you need two things. For good? You have to be not exposed to sunlight. Sunlight in outer space is intense enough, it literally rips water molecules apart. That's why there's never going to be liquid water on the moon. Besides the fact that it'll evaporate, the sun will destroy it. So it's not like we could dig a mile down into the moon and find a sample of water underneath the surface? Yes, we could. Under because the surface, there's tons of water. 
So it would from, be there. From what we can tell right now, yeah. So it's not exposed to the sun and it cannot be evaporated down that's there. That's right. Interesting. So that's why we're looking at the south pole of the moon. That's a whole other subject. Sorry, man. That's okay. DNA relates But there's to something this else topic. that has, you can't be on near the surface. You have to be deep because of cosmic rays. So the colony could not be left in good preservation on the surface. Yeah, but there's the lunar bases and Martian bases, they're going to dig down. Yeah. Because they have to get away from the cosmic rays. Oh. You can't live on the surface in outer space. You will die of cancer and whatever else. The reason that brought, this came to mind was, and the reason that this came to mind was that I was watching the Martian and they were talking about how if he died on the surface, he would be basically up there for the rest of time. And I thought about that and I was like, would that have actually happened to Mark If he's Whitney? in his Mark space suit and the spacesuit wasn't subject to, you know, photochemical degradation, yeah, maybe. Hmm. If he gets buried in the sand, yeah. But no, I don't, I don't, he would have been frozen because it's below freezing. <clears throat> All right, then getting back to the question, and I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be wondering, how did they do this? How did they... How did it, so how did they get the DNA and understand what they're looking at? Man, hard question to answer. That's a, a dissertation in itself. But here, the basic process is this: they they work in a clean room. You know, they they've got their clothes like sort of like they're working in, with dangerous viruses. You know, the doctors have got you know gloves on and the face mask and everything. That's exactly how they. You do don't it. want to accidentally introduce your DNA to the sample. That's right. It's a big, big, big problem: DNA contamination. So don't chew and put your gum on the table. That's right. That's right. Don't do that. Well, you yeah. know. Okay. But so they're in a sterile clean lab and they take bones or whatever it is, the petrous bone maybe, and they grind a little grind a little hole in it. And they take the powder and they extract the DNA from that. Most of the DNA will be bacterial or fungal. Like 99% of it. Okay, so what is what are the differences? Well, bacterial versus fungal, explain that. Not, nothing, just microbes living in the, in the soil in okay. which the bone is stored or, or the bone's sitting in the dirt. Well, there's tons and tons of bacteria in the dirt and they get into the bone. So most of the DNA you pull out is not the DNA you're looking for. Oh. But what they do is they tag the DNA. They with, tag the DNA. Like each little piece has its own little code at the end of it. Oh, my word. And they start sequencing it or they start cleaning it up and looking at it and, and, and sequencing it. And they say, okay, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Oh, this is a weird one. Yeah, this one was bacteria. This one's bacteria yep. too. This one's fungal. Oh, oh wait, well, well, this is not. Yes, and one of the things, there's two things they look for. One is a short piece of DNA. Okay, so like a couple of the pieces could still be stuck together. Yeah, like 50 letters long, like 70, 100 letters long. Mm -hmm. If you find something that's a million letters long, that's bacterial, throw it out. Because there's no way that a long piece <laughs> of DNA is going to last for thousands of years. So they can get rid of it all the long pieces of DNA. And then they look for pieces of DNA that have a lot of mutations at the end. Mutations? Why mutations? Well, what they figured out was that as the DNA breaks into pieces, the letters at the end of the short pieces tend to oxidize. Ooh. And what happens is that the C in the DNA, A, C, G, T, right? C is cytosine. It deaminates. It loses an ammonia. It loses an NH3. And that makes it uracil. And uracil doesn't belong in DNA. So if you find piece of DNA with a lot of uracils at one end, you say, aha, that's probably ancient DNA. Another thing you do is you um, sequence all the people working in the laboratory. Oh, to keep them straight. <laughs> yeah, to make sure that, that this piece of DNA doesn't belong to Bob. How long can that take? Oh, I don't know. But they do all sorts of quality control stuff like that just to make sure. And this brings up 
something that actually makes me a little angry. Okay. And not I shouldn't say angry. Frustrated is definitely the word. There was a group of um, ancient fossils found in South Africa. It's called Homo naledi. Now, are they people or are they apes? And the arguing starts. Now, I kind of think that these are ancient people that got way south in Africa first, early. They got inbred. They got isolated from everybody else. But they're really tiny. Oh, yeah. And this archaeologist or paleoarchaeologist or anthropologist, I guess is the right word, uh, named Lee Berger, he finds them or some other people find them. But he's, he's in charge of the excavating. And they had to crawl into this cave. And it's narrow and it's deep and it's way far back, which is telling me that these are people, not monkeys. Oh, right. The conditions, yeah, yes. their habitat. And he got, he hires these four skinny, beautiful girls to go dig the things out. So it's a media show. I mean, what, there aren't any skinny guys that do caving? I mean, pick me, I'm skinny. I love caving. But anyway, <laughs> and they get these bones out, but they don't do it under sterile conditions. So this was recent. It's recent. It's after the discovery of DNA in ancient bones. And he apparently didn't think, oh, no. hey, you know what? Let's not oh, contaminate no. these bones. Oh, no. And so I assume that these bones are mm -hmm. lost to DNA science. Sure. Now, there's probably not any DNA in the bone because most ancient bones don't have DNA in them. Mm. But he ruined the chance of it. Well, and they were in somewhat better conditions, as you said, that in a lot of Africa, the environments are too warm. Yeah. But these were down deep and in a cool environment. Yeah, and southern Africa is far away from the equator. So it was cooler down South Africa than near the equator. Much better chances. Much better chances. But he might have ruined it. Anyway, that's just a little aside. So that's how you do it. And now you have all these random little pieces of DNA that you think are ancient DNA, and you line them up on a known specimen. A known specimen. If we hadn't had the human genome, we could never have assembled the Neanderthal genome. Oh, so we can look at our example. Yes, we look at us and, hey, this piece of Neanderthal DNA fits right there on the human genome. And this piece fits right there. And the initial Neanderthals, we only had like 1.3 times coverage, that, which isn't a lot, which means every letter sequence like on average 1.3 times. And if you do it at random, that means a lot of pieces are on top of each other. Some letters didn't get sampled at all. Oh. But newer Neanderthals, we're talking about 30 and 50-fold coverage, which is very robust and very strong. And we have a very good read of the Neanderthal DNA now, which is really amazing and cool. Hmm. But water, oxygen, heat, they all act to rapidly destroy DNA. DNA, uh, two pieces of DNA will cross-link. Right, so all the ancient DNA, there's not any good pieces intact because it all breaks down it over time. Yeah. It's on the ground or in the ground. It's buried. It's buried to the sands of the... Yeah. It, it's just gone. Yeah. Disintegrated. Hmm. Except in a few cases, and in those, which is now turning into thousands of cases, and now we can tell all these cool things about history. Where, where are the such cases? Are you talking about human DNA that is recorded thousands of cases where it's not broken down? No, we have thousands of cases of broken down DNA. Okay. 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 But most of the bones have no DNA. No sequenceable or, or, or there's not enough DNA to get a good sample out of it. So whatever the bone material is made of, it's just not got the DNA uh, part of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. All right. Ready to get to the, one of the coolest aspects of this? Yeah. Well, but wait, there's more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this is where it gets freaky weird. Let's talk about Neanderthals. Wait, why Neanderthals? I thought we already knew everything there was to know about Neanderthals, Rob. 
I mean, like uh, I've read about them. I've seen documentaries, open and shut case. Yeah. They were dumb. And they used clubs. They're dumb. They're clubs. They were a uh, a branch off the human family tree, but they weren't humans. Okay. They split yeah. off from us like three or four hundred thousand years ago. Modern humans didn't even evolve in, in Africa until like ten thousand years ago or hundred thousand years ago, depending on which number you want to use. Yeah, but like you said, about twenty minutes ago, we found out that we have some of their DNA in us. Which means they're homo sapiens. <sighs> okay, yeah. By definition. The using, way science works, science has to say. The biological species definition, if two things can interbreed, they're the same species. And Neanderthals interbred with modern humans on multiple occasions and left their DNA behind. I'm sorry, people. That's just science. And it's not just a little bit of evidence. You got tons of really cool evidence. There was a, um, a Siberian person in a place called Ushtishim. They say it was 45,000 years ago. He has longer pieces of Neanderthal DNA than modern people do now. What? What? Why? Because he's closer to the inbreeding events. Oh. The Neanderthal pieces hadn't been broken down as much as in modern people. Oh, right. There's another one in a place called Kostenki. Again, long pieces of Neanderthal <laughs> DNA. Kostenki. Hmm. They found a Neanderthal individual in the Altai region of, of Russia. In 2014, they sequenced the genome, and they found what are called long runs of homozygosity. <laughs> Wait, what? Whoa, science, words, <laughs> phrases. Uh, no, what it Let's means call is, it Exhibit D. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. They had, they had long stretches of DNA in this individual where there was no variation because they inherited the same exact piece of DNA from both parents. Oh, okay. So in other words, the parents were Related. half siblings, aunt, uncle, nephew, niece, mm -hmm. maybe um, grandparent, grandchild, maybe double first cousins. What this does is, that tell us? It tells us that Neanderthals are shockingly inbred. Ah, of course. And we've seen other examples of lots of inbreeding in Neanderthals because they never had a large population size. We can look at their their DNA and say, oh, we think they had this size population. And some people say 5,000. What? That's not very big at all. Not when you're considering that they span 3,000 miles Holy from Spain smokes. to central Siberia. <laughs> oh, wow. And so you have, you know, five or 10 Neanderthals living here and 100 miles away, another five or 10, maybe 15 at most Neanderthals living over there. Mm -hmm. They never had a large population size, which is disastrous. Oh, yeah. And so they're inbreeding themselves out of existence. Oh, that sounds so painful. <laughs> and they're picking up all these mutations. They had a really high mutation load. And some of the things that afflict us today in modern people look like it came from Neanderthals. Oh my, that Some of our genetic diseases today look like they have a Neanderthal origin. Or because of that inbreeding then. Because they were on their way out when they ran into more modern people mm. and babies happened and now we have their DNA. Wow. Crazy. They found a bunch of skeletons in a cave in Spain. They claim they're 430,000 years old and genetically they're the ancestors of Neanderthals. I'm assuming the claim was made many years ago before they knew anything about their DNA. Well, no, they're still claiming they're very old because they look like they predate the Neanderthals in archaeology and in DNA too. Oh, but they're not quite Neanderthal looking, like I said earlier. They're almost modernish looking. Neanderthals morphed into a, a people group, a racial group, if you would, over time because of inbreeding. Hmm. 
Okay, now there's another group of people. We don't have bones for them, but we have their DNA. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> well, they found... Uh, a, did they get this from the soil sample you mentioned earlier? They have since then, but what they did is they found a little pinky bone. So not an entire skeleton, a pinky bone in a cave in, in Siberia. And it's really cave kind of... seemed to be a really good place to find DNA. Yep, great place to find DNA. Cave DNA. Cave DNA. But what's funny is Neanderthals are named after Neander Valley. Neander was a famous hymn writer in Germany. So okay. Neanderthals are named after Christian. Oh, wow. This other group of people was found in Denisova Cave. St. Denis <laughs> used to live in this cave. So he's named after another Christian. That's kind of strange. Wow. Weird. Anyway, um, the Denisovans are almost as different from Neanderthals as Neanderthals are different from us. Okay. So yeah, they're more closely related to Neanderthals, but not by much at all. Physical features totally different. We in don't some necessarily respects. know their physical features. Yeah, because we miss, we're missing those bones. We they have found some um, jaw bones and some teeth. It looks like they're bigger than Neanderthals, and they have more genetic diversity than Neanderthals. Hmm. But just like Neanderthal DNA is found in modern people, Denisovan DNA is found in modern Asians. They're like half a percent Denisovan, and three percent Neanderthal. Oh. But then when you get down into some of the islands in this Pacific, those people can be. 3% Neanderthal and up to 7% Denisovan. Okay. So 10% of their genome is, quote, non-modern. Wow. Now, I don't like that phrase because it's very <laughs> awkward to say it that way. But see, I also don't think that Denisovans and Neanderthals are primitive. And I don't think they're cavemen. I don't think they're stupid. I think they're fully they functional were a people. people. They were not questioning whether or not they were real people. We're questioning whether or not they would be classified as inferior. That's right. And I don't think they were inferior. I mean, somebody figured out how to sail to Australia and Indonesia and the Philippines across an ocean and we call them homo erectus today see we have mm. homo erectus skeletons but we don't have homo, any homo erectus dna we have denisovan dna but no real skeletons wow <laughs> that is fascinating so I, I make a prediction that um the denisovans are going to become homo erectus there's someone eventually is going to find a homo erectus skeleton. We can pull DNA out of it. And I'm <gasps> predicting it's going to be Denisovan DNA. Oh, wow. So we have these three, three major groups of people. We have DNA for them all, and they'll all be homo, homo sapiens. And like you said, though, we cannot uh, verify and confirm it, but that is a pretty interesting theory, yes. something that could be determined and somehow. The, the weird thing about Denisovan DNA, there's some um, adaptations amongst people living in Tibet today. Well, you know, someone like me, if I go up to some high altitude like that, my body's going to start pumping out more red blood cells. Um, if huh. I stay up at a high altitude too long, I'll get altitude sick. Um, my, my blood might get really thick with iron. Hmm. Um, but the Tibetans, they don't do that. And the genetic variant looks like it came from Denisovans. Oh, weird. There was a, an individual found in Denisova Cave where they found the finger bone and they find Neanderthals there too. And this individual is half Denisovan and half Neanderthal. So we know that these people groups intermated, right? Because we see their DNA today. But what's the possibility, the probability that you ever find that individual? Yeah. Like never? No. <laughs> if you're talking about all of time and all of space, or maybe we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of years here. We're talking right. about much more recent events and therefore much more likely to actually find evidence for the event itself. <laughs> but the Denisovan part of her, she was a girl, 
Almost all the ancient people are females, by the way. It's very strange. <laughs> okay. We only have one partial Neanderthal Y chromosome. Huh. We have dozens of Neanderthal females. And Denisovan females, we have some of those too. But this person, this woman, was half Denisovan, but the Neanderthal part wasn't related to Neanderthal buried three feet away. It was related to Neanderthals from Croatia. What? 2,000 miles away. 1,500 miles away. In the explanation? Um, if you started walking from Croatia and started going east, the probability of you finding this little teeny cave over near Mongolia... Forget it. It's, it's never going to happen. <laughs> they must have known where it is. Whoa. There must Whoa. have been some sort of a trading or interaction network amongst these little Neanderthal communities. Oh. Because they're not stupid. No. And they were far ranging. And even if they, you know, interbred with their little people group a lot, you know, Uncle Joe just walked a thousand miles that way. Let's go see Uncle Joe, see how he's doing or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm making that up. But there must have been communication between these groups. Oh, that is so cool. And we can learn all this behavior and all this information from the DNA contained in these bones. That is shocking. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Well, I think we just outdid ourselves. If you missed episodes one and two, forget about them. They are nothing like episode three. Oh, no way. One and two are great. <laughs> the, our trilogy is way better than other trilogies is what you're saying. And I have to agree, I'm, I was joking about skipping parts one and two. You got to listen to those or episode three doesn't make any sense. Even though they have nothing to do with one another <laughs> whatsoever, what we're doing is exploring science and rejoicing in science and human ingenuity and the unbelievably cool yep. things we're able to do in the modern day. Every step of the way. So thanks so much for joining us on our quest this time. If you enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you want links to what we have discussed, they are available in the show notes. If you want to help us out in a really big way, remember that you can rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about it if they want to use Spotify and other apps. Be sure to follow Dr. Carter on Twitter. He is at Bible Genetics. And I'm at JCS Darnell. Those are my initials and my last name. And the show is at Podcast Equinox. So please send your science questions on Twitter and we'll get to them in a future episode because we want to talk about things that interest you as well as all the other science subjects that we have in mind. And we know there are going to be some things you think about that we don't. And until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You have been listening to Equinox. Equinox.